0: Hello there, and welcome to episode number 111 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Alright, so, this week, we got a number of things to discuss. Starting with Anthony Rucker's comments regarding Alex Manoa's body, his body image. And we're going to dive into everything that transpired from... Brecker's body-shaming comments, Manoa's responses, Anthony Bass, Marcus Stroman's reactions to those conversations, and then we're going to dive into some lighter things. We're going to talk about the Chad Green signing, talk about his complicated contract structure, what it means for both the team and the player, and fans can expect from, Jet, from Chad Green, who is coming off Tommy John surgery and won't be available until you know at least the middle of next season, so we're going to dive into that, what the addition of, of Green means for the Blue Jays' bullpen, and then we're going to look at, at the bullpen as a whole and further explore how much improved the club's depth is in the bullpen both at the major league level and minor league level and then to wrap things up we'll talk about the payroll and you know what we can expect to see from the blue jays leading up to pitchers the date when pitchers and catchers will report which is just a little over a week away so there's there's not a whole lot of time until baseball things start picking up again so let's dive in dive in here okay so Unfortunately, we're back on this topic of body shaming and you know, luckily, I say luckily, but I wish there were, I wish we lived in a world where people with you know, large platforms didn't use them negatively. But here we are. And we're here again with Manoa standing up for what's right. And, you know, last time he did that, it was for his teammate, Alejandro Kirk. Now, this topic has come about has come back around to him specifically, where if you missed it, and I'm sure the clip of it is on social media everywhere now, former MLB player, Anthony Recker was on the panel ranking the top 10 best starting pitchers right now and not only did they leave Alec Manoa off that list which is an insult in itself but he continued to go on and and explain his reasoning as to why he didn't he wouldn't rank Manoa among the top t- top 10 best pitchers in 2023 and he went on to talk about Manoa's body image and you know passive aggressively saying that he needs to lose weight and work on his you know his effort and timing into the in the gym before he could you know, realistically, consider him one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like what? Come on, man. That is one of the most stupidest things I have ever heard of. You know, like Minot is a big guy. We're not disputing that, right? He's six foot six, two hundred eighty-five pounds at last check. But that doesn't make him a bad pitcher. You know, there's there's this stereotype. Around baseball players, specifically pitchers, that you don't have to be a great athlete, but that's not, in fact, true. You know, sure, you don't have to be in world class shape, you know, like some other sports, where, you know, like in hockey, per se. That's mainly based on cardio. And you need a lot of stamina to, to play baseball, especially being a pitcher. Um, but it's not the same. And, and that's beside the point, too. right? This is about somebody who, for whatever reason, took it upon himself to say and, and criticize one of the best pitchers in baseball for his body. Which is just, it, it's baffling because they're not one in the same, you know. Manoa is one of the greatest, greater pitchers in the game right now. He's not held back by being a big guy. If anything, it's what makes, it's part of what makes him such a good pitcher. So, as we know, Manoa won is not a guy to just sit back when something like this explodes on social media. So naturally, he took to social media, quote tweeted the initial clip that was put out there, and tagged Wrecker in his post, telling him basically to go fuck himself. That's essentially what it was. You know, he, he said he, he, he called Wrecker an outsider, doesn't know Manoa, or his work ethic, or what he does in the gym, not to mention, Manoa's current gym regimen clearly works, as he stated, for Wrecker to go check the goddamn numbers, which he also adds, it's too bad Wrecker's numbers in the Major League during his brief MLB career weren't, wasn't all that great, um, and for context, Record played just seven MLB seasons, mostly with the Mets. And for his career, he was a negative 1.6 Fangraphs war player. And he also features a career 199, 283, 348 slash line with a 76 weighted runs created plus score. Now, again, beside the point that Wrecker, you know, failed as an MLB player, um... And I don't agree with Marcus Stroman's take on it, which I'll get into in a second, where, you know, if you fail as an, every, and as an MLB player, you don't have the right to analyze the game afterwards. That's just not true, because that, that would be, like, that would be saying anyone who hasn't played the game professionally doesn't have a right to be a media member or, you know, even, you know, be a fan and, and try and analyze the game, right? So... Um, but getting back to what Manoa responded with, um, you know, like, he stood up for himself, which you have to applaud him for, as he should do. Um, but the fact that Rector never apologized to Manoa, like, even in his, in his uh, first response to Manoa's quote tweet, saying... Uh, Quote, don't let someone throw a video out of context at you and get upset and get you upset. You're incredible. He didn't even use proper grammar here. You're an incredible talent, man, and I'd love to see you make the most of it, doubling down basically on his comments from the, the video. I hope to see you continue to get better and be great for a long time. I wish I had even a tiny speck of the talent you do. And Manoa called out record for that reply as well and invited him to learn what it's like to train with a all-star, first-team, all-MLB player and a Cy Young finalist. And then, yeah, like, Stroman jumped into the equation calling Wrecker a clown, saying he had a poo-poo take, Um, you know, telling him to keep his mouth shut, stop talking down to players, praising Manoa as one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, But again, you know, like, Stroman took it too far. Like, he usually does. He has a reputation for that. Um, Again, saying that, or at least implying that failed professional baseball players don't have a place in the broadcasting world, which is just not true. It's actually the opposite, right? Evidenced by Joe Siddle. Um, You know, like so many, I mean, even Buck Martinez, Pat Tabler, no matter how you feel about those two as broadcasters, they're great fits on TV, right? They um, made a very well career out of that and still do. Uh, and there are many others, too, who, you know, didn't have what it didn't have what it took to uh, make it at the highest level of competition. But they're able to bring their knowledge to the TV side, which is great content. So, you know, Strowman just needs to chill out a little bit. Uh, I did love, however... Anthony Bass's response, who, you know, he didn't say much, but, you know, he basically was just eating back, sitting back, eating popcorn and watching the show uh, unfold, which was, you know, a little funny to see. But, you know, again, like, it's just, it's so unfortunate that we still live in a world where these types of things happen right and it's not uncommon for stuff like this to happen on social media that's one of the reasons why it's such a toxic place but at the same time too it's just so great that the Blue Jays have a player like Alec Manoa on their team who doesn't put up with this kind of nonsense so, you know, I, I, I love, this, type, this kind of stuff makes you love Alec even more. And, you know, at the same time too, it just makes him such a better human being off the field. Because we know how talented he, he is on the field. But he's also a great human being off the field too. And it's mind-blowing that he's still so young and is going to continue to blossom and grow even further because he's just entering his second full big league season which is so hard to believe so hard to believe and yet he's, so, he's mature beyond his age um, and just a, a first-class human being and the world needs more people like Alec Manila. So that's what I wanted to touch on. Um, And uh, basically just be better human beings. You know, that's, that's the main takeaway here. Don't comment on any person's figure. You do not have the right to do so. So just shut your damn mouth. That's all I have to say. Now, the Blue Jays did make a move earlier this week, signing Chad Green to an interesting two-year deal um, on the surface wor- it's worth $8.5 million, but it's far more complex than that. So, here's here's the rundown here. So, like I said at the top, Green is coming off Tommy John surgery. He underwent the knife last summer, so... You know he's not going to be ready for the start of the next season but he could potentially return around the same time as Hunjin ryu um it wouldn't be shocking if their recovery timelines matched up to where you know perhaps they return after the all-star break at some point uh, either in you know late june early august sometime around there maybe uh, perhaps even later than that as well but For Green in particular, he's gonna earn two point five two point two five million dollars in twenty twenty-three. There's there's nothing's gonna change about that. Afterwards, however, it gets a little tricky. So the Jays have a three-year club option worth nine million dollars per season included in his deal. And that also includes up to a million dollars in player incentives where he would receive $500,000 500000 for appearing in 60 games and another 500000 for appearing in 65 games. And for context, Green's last full season came in 2021. He made 67 appearances then. So, you know, reaching 60 and 65 if, if he's healthy, it's pretty attainable. Um, you know, so that would make those years even more expensive um, and you would have him through his age 35 season. And for a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, especially as a reliever, you know, like that's, that's risky, right? Because all relievers are volatile. That's just the nature of the business, nature of their position. They're unpredictable. Even though Chad Green has been one of the better relievers in baseball since, you know, 2017, 2018. He's been lights out um but at the same time as well uh the blue jays can decline that club option which i think unless green comes back earlier than expected you know sometime around that all-star break in july and lights the world on fire the rest of the way i don't really see the point in keeping him around for three more seasons at you know nine million plus per year, especially when if they decline that option, Green uh, Green's 2024 player option kicks in, which would pay him just 6.25 million dollars. Though he would receive up to two million dollars in player bonuses, so making that if he if he hit on all of the incentives he would earn 8.25 million that season still cheaper than the three-year club option though so that's important to keep in mind but then if green declines that player option the jays then would have a two-year club option worth 21 million dollars in total paying him 10.5 million dollars season and his deal would also include up to a million dollars in bonuses so you know essentially from the team standpoint you would you know without the incentives pay either pay three million dollars extra for one less season or pay a little bit less on the AAB but be tied to green for three years instead of two. So it, it probably makes a little bit more sense to have him either at one year or two years, not three extra years. Um, again, unless he looks extremely dominant again and gives the Blue Jays you know, probably more than they would expect. A guy coming off midseason Tommy John surgery... Um, you know because usually that's a 12 to 14 month recovery timeline so uh, and, and every pitcher is different too right so it's hard to gauge especially in, in February uh, when he's going to return and the same goes for Hunjin Ryu especially for a guy of his age um, and for somebody who you know doesn't throw hard to begin with either with Ryu. Chad Green's a little bit different he He, uh, you know, pre-injury had a mid-90s fastball that featured a really high spin rate. So, um, you hope that with Green coming off surgery, his fastball isn't affected. Same with his curveball. Um, Because, like, Green is basically a two-pitch pitcher. You know, he he occasionally mixes in a sinker and a changeup to change the eye level and keep hitters honest. Because... His fastball will be utilized in the upper half of the strike zone with his curveball located in the bottom half. But, you know, if we think of Kevin Gosman here, where, you know, he was in a similar situation last season, right? And it's a bit different with the starter because you're seeing them, you know, three times versus a reliever where you're probably just seeing them once in a game. Um, but where, you know, Gosman uses his fastball in the upper, the upper half of the zone, and then uses that splitter in the bottom zone or bottom half um, versus lefties and righties. But to keep hitters honest, he had to throw his fastball in the lower half of the zone too. So if they saw it coming low, they didn't just give up on it. Similar thing with, with Green here, and that's also why Gosman has a slider too versus righties. Um, but with with Green, you know he'll throw a changeup, sinker, lower half just to keep them a little bit honest and not just thinking okay every pitch that is at the knees or below is his curveball so I should just lay off you know that type of thing um so you would hope especially with that curveball you know you don't want the arc of it to change um you know like mechanically it's not great it's got a ton of spin on it which is you know part of the reason why it's been so effective but It does have a tendency to hang in the strike zone a little bit um, and it did even more last season prior to um, you know undergoing surgery because it featured less vertical movement on average uh, you know about four inches less or four inches fewer Um, it did have a little bit more horizontal movement which made up for that disparity a little bit but He also saw a big difference with his four-seamer as well. It dropped into the strike zone a lot more than the previous year. Um, And and, and it also lost some spin and velocity as well. So you hope both of those tick back up when he returns next season. Um, But again, as well, that also plays into the club options, right? Because if his underlining numbers aren't encouraging, the velocity doesn't come back, the spin doesn't come back on his fastball, you're not going to exercise a three-year club option on a guy who, you know, is not performing well off surgery, right? So, um, it'll be interesting to see what type, what version of Chad Green arrives next season because if he's back to the 2021 version of himself and for context he was a like just an unbelievable pitcher and i know playing playing for the yankees a lot of blue jays remembered chad green but if we want to explore the numbers a little bit here like he made 67 appearances in 2021 registering 83 and two-thirds innings featuring a 3.12 era a 3.22 expected ERA, a 3.59 FIP. He also racked up uh, a 31.4% strikeout rate and a 5.1% walk rate, converting to a 26% uh, strikeout to walk rate difference. Opponents hit just 191 against him as well. And he did give up... You know some home runs because he had such a, f- a high fly ball rate, like at 53%. Uh, again, that's because his fastball is up in the and is utilized up in the zone. Curveball has a tendency to hang in the in the strike zone a little bit too long, but he was still worth 1.6 FanGraphs wins above replacement that season. So. Um, and he does have some prior closing experience too. He he, he uh knocked 6 saves with the Yankees in 2021. So you're adding a high strikeout arm who features an explosive fastball and at times a devastating curveball. He limits walks. He does give up some hard contact at times. Like his hard hit percentage ranked in the 13th percentile in 2021 bail percentage in the 7th percentile but gets a lot of swings and misses 85th percentile in 2021 chase rate at 72nd percentile that season so like I'll take that trade off especially because you don't need Chad Green pitching in the ninth inning all that often down the stretch because you already have Jordan Romano Eric Swanson Anthony Bass, Jimmy Garcia, you know, like, the fact that you could add Chad Green to that group, along with Tameza as well, down the stretch and for the postseason is invaluable. Like, that's a major addition. That's like picking Chad Green uh, off the trade market for nothing. You know, like, if he's back to his regular form for September and onwards, man, like that's just that that's gonna be a sneaky good acquisition if that pays off. And you know, I, I know some people are, are a little concerned that the Jays added a right hander here and to make room for Green on the roster, DFA'd another lefty and Matt Gage leaving them just two lefties on their 40-man roster. But the counterpoint to that is Green features impressive reverse splits. Like, he is not only nasty against right-handed pitching or right-handed batters, but he is also extremely effective against lefties as well. Like, from 2018 to 2021, lefties hit just 213 against him with a two. 74 Woba uh, posting a 297 ERA, a 287 FIP, a 30.5% strikeout to walk rate difference. Um, And and again, the home runs were still there 1.2 home runs per nine innings, uh, 301 BAP against. But you'll take those numbers every day versus lefties. Especially considering you can put Jack Green in against some of the best left-handed hitters in baseball. And be comfortable having him in in those spots. Again, the caveat is him being back to his usual self. But, you know, these days, most pitchers respond pretty well from Tommy John surgery. Not all. But in this era, most have. So... You know, you're hoping that Chad Green falls into that category and, 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 and too, doesn't have any setbacks either that, you know, prevent him from making a considerable impact with the Blue Jays. But, you know, at the same time as well, just the potential of adding him to the mix down the stretch is invigorating. You know, like, this is a guy that normally, if healthy, would have been a marquee reliever in free agency. Like, he would have been up there with Rafael Montero and Suarez from the Padres and Edwin Diaz from the Mets. Like, he would have been in that category of relievers receiving monster contracts in free agency. But because he's coming off Tommy John, the Blue Jays were able to get him at a bargain. And it sounds like, according to um, fan sided Robert Murray, that the Blue Jays were in contact with Green all offseason. And he was one of their top targets in free agency. So, you know, they've quietly been working on this for months and got him. You know, so like there's there's a lot to be said about the fact that the Blue Jays as complicated of a deal that they put together for green is um, the fact that they procured him and stole him away from potential rival teams because Murray reports that half the uh, majors was interested in green services and had checked in on him. So, you know, you potentially took him away from a reunion with the Yankees or even the Rays, possibly the Red Sox, um, even the Astros too, potentially, right? So, um, you know, like that's, that's a move that isn't going to help them in the first half of the season,
1: but if it pans out,
0: whew, it could not only help them this season, but next season, and in 2025, and potentially 2026. So, I love the addition of Chad Green. And if you want to, you know, find out more about him and look into more, you know, data, I'm planning on doing this a selfish plug here, but I'm planning to do a more in depth feature on Chad Green and what he brings to the Blue Jays later this week. So um, if you're interested, just keep an eye out on that. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to tweet it out. Uh, once it's published. But now with, with Green added to the mix, the Blue Jays have an interesting situation here with their bullpen depth. And again, you can never have too many arms. Starters are relievers. Um, and it sort of helps that Chad Green won't be available until you know July at the earliest. Because right now, their bullpen's pretty full. You know, like projected at least right now, they're expected to carry Romano, Swanson, Garcia, Bass, Mesa, Simber, Richards, and either Mitch White or say Kikuchi, whoever doesn't win that number five spot in the rotation. And then there's all the depth you have in the minor leagues, right? You, you have Nate Pearson potentially depending on whether he's stretched out or going to be utilized as a multi inning reliever like he was last season. We'll see if he's healthy. Um, Josef Zulueta, same thing. He started in the past, but was more transitioning to a reliever at the end of last season. So we'll see what happens there with him. But those are two arms in particular that would be explosive uh, uh, coming out of the bullpen. And then you still have Zach Pop, who a lot of people seem to keep forgetting about. Um, if he makes some adjustments to his pitch usage a little bit, throw uh, some more sliders, he could be even better next season too. And as a guy who has a minor league option, he actually has a couple uh, left that you know he's going to be a valuable player for the Blue Jays next season because he can be sent up and down between the mi- majors. And the Miners, without being subject to waivers, they can do that five times before, you know, they would have to place him through waivers. Obviously, they're not going to do that, but um, he's going to be a valuable guy. They still got Trent Thornton, even though, you know, he might become a casualty when it comes to creating space on the 40-man roster. Uh, and then you have all the non-roster invitees that the Blue Jays have picked up over the winter you know you got jay jackson jr fernandez paul fry julian fernandez jackson reese adrian hernandez is still around he you know got passed over in the rule five draft thankfully um so we'll see if he can add some more velocity to his fastball um and and make some positive strides next season um brand brandon eisert uh as well another left-handed pitcher that could become a valuable piece again um considering blue jays don't have many lefties in their system at the the moment that's a guy who you know high strikeout arm good velocity just 25 years old so um that's somebody certainly to keep an eye on um this spring when it comes to non-roster invitees and then you also have Hagen danner On the 40-man roster, he's coming off a really encouraging performance in the Arizona Fall League. Um, You know, uh, Hayden Junior as well um, will be an interesting arm to keep an eye on um, because he's also a non-roster invitee. But again, he's somebody who could be stretched out as a starter or Worked as a reliever. Um, Bouton Francis as well. You know, there's there's a lot of intriguing arms that could make an impact at the big league level for the Blue Jays next season. And that's just something they did not have a year ago. Jimmy Burnett as well. Uh, Another nice arm, uh, talented arm that Blue Jays fans should keep an eye on this spring. Um, But it goes back to... You know, and and I wrote about this earlier in the winter. And that's, you know, a season ago, coming out of the lockout, the Blue Jays didn't do a good enough job at layering, you know, pitching depth, both at the starting position and and in the bullpen, um, below the major league level. So that, you know, because injuries are inevitable, especially when it comes to pitchers. Like, guys are going to get hurt you're going to have to rely on not just your 26-man roster, but your 40-man roster, and even uh, deeper beyond that as well. Um, so, like, you know, there was one pitcher the Blue Jays signed after the lockout last season, and that was Yusei Kikuchi. You know, they, they made some other moves before the lockout commenced, but they, they just... And you know, part of it was just the rush to um, get everything set up before players arrived for spring training. They did the Matt Chapman deal coming out of the lockout. Like it was a rush. So, you know, it's understandable that it was chaotic and, and you know they may have been overwhelmed by you know the sudden change and everything moving so quickly but at the same time too it really hurt them to not have that depth because when guys underperformed and got injured you then had to you know call upon the anthony bandas and the sergio romo's and You know, seeing what you could get out of Andrew Vasquez and putting Thomas Hatch in a role that he wasn't prepared for. Um, You know, seeing Casey Lawrence and Sean Anderson getting beat up in the majors. Um, You know, like, they they got um, positive performances out of guys like Max Castillo, but, you know, they then flipped him... To Kansas City for for Whit Merrifield, and I still don't really agree with that move either. Um, it, you know, it's fine now because they have a lot more depth coming on the way, right? Um, but at the same time, too, like that's a guy who could have probably helped you towards the end of last season, and even this year too, right? you're really banking on Kikuchi or White running with that fifth start, fifth starter spot. Um, and, there, and there's still a possibility that, you know, Nate Pearson grabs a hold of that or Zulueta or somebody else. But it would have been nice to have another arm there who, you know, looked promising at times at the big league level next season or last season. Um, and as the ability to be stretched out as a starter. So um, yeah, I, st- I still wish to this day that they didn't trade Castillo. And, and I-, I wasn't in the room. I wasn't part of the trade discussion. So I don't know if Castillo was a key guy that the Royals were demanding uh, and targeting. But it just seems like the Blue Jays could have gone a different way to not further um sacrifice their pitching depth, uh, especially last season. So um you know, but at the same time too they could still like right now they could still possibly uh add to their depth even further. I don't see it because one, there's there's not a there's not many guys left. They're in free agency. They could still possibly make a trade um you know still similar to the Stephen Matz one from 2021 where they basically took like a handful of guys off the 40-man roster traded them to the Mets for a fifth starter basically what they did um, and they still possibly could do that this offseason whether it's for uh, another starter or a right-handed outfielder because as of right now like that's the one thing this team is missing right now like that's one thing separating them between having like a really good offseason to a fantastic offseason you know like right now I'd probably grade their offseason as like a B plus following the Chad Green edition but if they added a right-handed outfielder which I still expect them to do then I would put them in like an A minus A category but in terms of Spending, there's not a whole lot of flexibility left for the Blue Jays because, you know, with the Chad Green signing, and it didn't add too much to their payroll, but their collective balance tax payroll now sits at just over 200 a projected $245.5 million. And the reason why that's projected is because there's still Beau Bichette's Arbitration hearing and um, Fangraphs is projecting them to receive 6.25 million, which is why you get the 245.5 million. Um, so there could still be some changes with that final number, but the most important number to keep in mind here is 253 million. That's the second luxury tax threshold. The Blue Jays prior to this winter, had never surpassed the luxury tax period. Never. They had never been a luxury tax team. They will be this year. But I don't expect them to pass two thresholds in one offseason. I just don't see that. I don't see that from Rogers Communications. Um, And with that in mind, it would be nice to have some breathing room during the season so you could freely make some deals at the deadline without worrying, okay, are are we going to cross that second threshold if we do this deal or, you know, any other problems that pop up, right? So with them still, you know, with Bo Bichette's final salary number still unknown, I don't see them making, you know, any significant financial additions um before the season but you know Robbie Grossman is still available in free agency and he's he's still reportedly looking for a larger opportunity than the Blue Jays can offer him one where he can play a little bit more regularly um because with the Blue Jays he would just basically be Hit, uh, in the lineup versus left-handed pitching, because they have Dalton Varsho and, and Kevin Kiermaier to face righties, so um, there wouldn't be a ton of a ton of playing time available, especially with Brandon Belt occupying the DH spot pretty regular, pretty regularly, uh, probably almost on an everyday basis, along with you know wanting to rest Vladdy and Springer and Chapman, uh, using Kirk on occasion in that DH spot so um, really just a part-time role uh, in the outfield against left-handed pitching is all the Blue Jays can really offer him Um, and as of right now that's something that he isn't ready to commit to I wouldn't be shocked if that changes closer to the start of um, the spring training schedule because the Blue Jays first exhibition game is on February 25th uh, Pitchers and catchers who are participating in the WBC have to report by the 12th I believe or at least pitchers and catchers do when position players a few days later um, so that's, you know, that, that's Just over a week away right so I um, I would expect Grossman to make a decision sometime soon, hopefully that's with the Blue Jays, but if he signs elsewhere, the Blue Jays may have to turn to that, you know, Steven Matz-type deal and go search for an outfielder that excels versus left-handed pitching, and you know, in an ideal world, that would be somebody who has more team control too, because Kevin Kiermaier's only signed to a one-year deal. So it wouldn't hurt to acquire another reliever that has some team control. Uh, It's not, you know, the end-all be-all if they they only get somebody signed for one year, but at the same time, it'd sort of be a, a nice luxury to have too. So we'll see what happens in that regard, but I do expect there to be some resolution with Grossman's camp in you know the next week or so if not sooner so uh, stay tuned on that front but uh for the most part I would say the Blue Jays are pretty set up here regards to their roster especially after the Chad Green signing they have solidified their bullpen depth again they could still add a starter possibly um maybe on a minor league deal I don't see them going after Michael Walker, especially considering where their CBT payroll sits and the fact that they still need another right-handed outfielder, um, but who knows, you know, like, I didn't expect the Blue Jays to go out and sign Chad Green, I was thinking more like Alex Reyes, Zach Britton, Trevor Rosenthal maybe, um, but they they swung big and and if it, if, if the Green signing pays off, well, that's. That could be a very, very um, noteworthy move come September and October. So hopefully it works out. But that does it for this week's episode. hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall. And now you're up to date. And remember, please wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.